right. Good morning, Doxa Church. Guys, you can go ahead and grab a seat. Guys, it's, it's great to be together this morning. Man, I love that you guys are chatty. That's awesome. But uh, guys, before we get going, I just want to say, man, I'm incredibly thankful and, and proud of our church. Even with that, that Christmas gift drive, when we thought about like 125 students and like adopting kids for Christmas like that, I remember sitting with our elders and being like, that's a pretty high goal. We just did these backpacks, like, I don't know. And I just feel like, oh, you have little faith. You know, you guys are awesome. It's our church, God is teaching our church family to be generous. And so I'm so thankful to be partnered with you guys in this gospel work here in our city. But with that said, grab your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter six. All right, we are 10 weeks into our study through the foundational book of Genesis, and we have a lot of ground to cover today, okay? So if you are new to Doxa, again, welcome. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to have you part of our family gathering. I wanna welcome everybody on our live stream. Guys, I say this every time I get up here is that we miss you a ton. We cannot wait for you to be back with us in person, but it's awesome to be with you virtually today. So here's what we got this morning. Genesis chapter six through chapter nine, okay? So buckle up. We're gonna be here for a while. It's gonna be good, okay? But for those of you who are new, it'll be normal time, okay? You don't know I'm joking, but anyway. But as we get into this, okay, let me just uh, quickly kind of give you kind of a, a quick catch up to Genesis chapter six, okay? We began where the Bible begins. Genesis chapter one, where we see God creating the heavens and the earth. Then we saw God create the first of humanity, our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden. This is Genesis chapter two. And then Genesis chapter three, we watch Adam and Eve sin. And as they sin, they separate themselves from each other. They separate themselves from God. And as a result, death comes into the human equation as really just the consequence for sin. And last week, we, we looked at chapters four and five. And as we did this, we, we witnessed the first death in human history, the first murder between the two brothers, Cain and Abel. All right, and we looked at the fact that over the course of 1,656 years in Genesis chapter five, one, gener one generation after the next, their story was they sinned and then they died. They sinned, they lived, they died. The only exception was one godly man named Enoch who we're told walked with God and then was taken directly to heaven. And Docs, I want you to understand this, that God gave us Enoch as an example to follow. All right, we just need to know that the only way around the sin problem that we all have and the inevitability of death that we all face is to walk with God. And this is what we're learning here in Genesis. And this brings us to Genesis chapter six. And this week, all right, you're gonna meet a man named Noah. You probably have heard this guy, Noah and his big boat, the ark, right? We've seen movies with Jim Carrey and it was awesome, right? But when it comes to this famous or, or infamous, depending on who you ask, story of, of Noah and the flood, all right, this story just fills Sunday school classes, right? I mean, it fills children's books and it's in Christian art all around the world and the depictions are always pretty much the same, right? It's a bunch of cute little cuddly zoo animals on a big boat with a, a jolly big man with a big beard Right, there's rainbows in the sky, the sun's out, there's big puffy white clouds that look like cotton candy. And some of you, you when you think about Noah and the flood, you have that picture in your head. 
just a really great day. I think this mic is gonna have to get turned off. Guys, I talk with my hands a lot, so this is gonna be interesting, okay? Here we go. So if I start, no, that's not how I'm gonna do it, okay? But right, we, some of us, we, we think about knowing the flood. We have that beautiful picture in our head. Other people think the flood and this account of, of Noah is really just an ancient recounting of an angry God who just really arbitrarily hates people. All right, many people who are not Christians are really especially susceptible to this view, although many Christians have a kind of a, a view of God in the Old Testament as, as really just kind of like a hot-tempered child with kind of like a magnifying glass over top of an ant just roasting it in like maniacal pl pleasure, right? Some people view God like that. Here's what I'll tell you, Doxa. Both of those postures, both of those views are wrong. All right, the account of the flood isn't simply just a, a Sunday school story about sunny skies and rainbows. Because real people died. Real sin was punished in a real flood. Now at the same time, all right, the account of the flood isn't just like a, a grim story of like fury and rage and death. This section of the Bible, we believe every section of the Bible, every page of the Bible. This is one of the reasons if you're newer to Doxa, we just preach through books of the Bible because we believe it's all good for us. And we believe that this part right here has some massive theological intent for us today as we walk out of this room. And because of that, all right, we really just need to pay careful attention to the message here. And as we get into this, we need to know that the message, hear this, the message is not the flood. That's the story. All right, neither should we think the message is really judgment, although as we get through this, you're gonna see there's some great truths about judgment here, but what we have in this story is the picture of how mankind is saved by God. That's the emphasis in this story. This is the message. The Genesis chapter six through nine gives us a true picture of the state of humanity and the character of God. And so what we're gonna learn about today and be reminded of is really two things. Number one, what are we like? Like, what are human beings truly like? It's the first thing we're going to consider. And the second thing we're going to learn is we're going to ask the question, what is God like? What is he like? In order for us to do this and grasp this message, we need to look at three big aspects throughout this account. And let me just give like a, a quick caveat, okay? We could spend the next four or five weeks on these chapters, okay? And there's a ton of things that we could hone in on and, and dig really deep into. I'm not gonna do that today. Instead, what we're gonna do is we're kinda look at this like thematically. I'm gonna take like a 30,000 foot flyover and we're gonna get the big picture of the story. And so what that practically means is you might walk out of here and have questions. You're like, what about this? What about this? How big was the boat? Like, how do... And those would be great things for you to talk about at your connection group. Ask those questions, okay? Because it's not just this, right? It's not just we gather on Sunday mornings and we never talk to each other. We gather throughout the week in connection groups. And this is an opportunity for all of us to ask those questions and wrestle there. But today what we got, three big aspects to grab hold of in order to understand this message of the flood. And the first is this, if you're a note taker. We learn about the depravity of humanity. All right, look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim 
were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And I want you to underline this next part in your Bible. Verse five, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So here's what's going on. About 1600 years has passed since creation. Genesis chapter five gave us a complete genealogy from Adam to Noah showing us that there was approximately 1056 years from Adam's creation to Noah's birth and that Noah was 600 years old when God brought about the flood on the entire earth. And during that time, here's what happened. Mankind didn't like evolve and get better. They really devolved. Things got worse, much, much worse. If you look at verse 11, look down there, that, the, that God saw that the earth was corrupt and filled with violence. All right, and as we read this, okay, what this is meant to do is make us stop. All right, this is what Moses is doing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Just make us stop, and we should be thinking back to Genesis chapter 1. Because when we're told in, in Genesis 6, 5 about this great wickedness on the earth, we're to think of the many earlier statements that we saw early on in Genesis that God created and he saw that it was what? Good. And not just good, but, but very good. But now something radical has, has happened. Sin has run its course, it's jacked up humanity, and people were only evil all the time, like unrestrained e evil. I mean, there was murder, there was abuse. I mean, you can just, there was no like governing authority type thing. There, people were just doing whatever they want. It was just wickedness, not good. Sin continues, the human condition just gets worse and worse. And last week, as we went through Genesis four and five, we talked about this, right? Ronnie did a great job showing us the, the pervasiveness and the weight and the devastation of sin and how every single one of us is impacted by sin. We need to know that. If this is the first time you're, you're hearing this, guys, if this is true of, of humanity, that no one is without sin and everyone is way more sinful than we can even imagine. And maybe, let me just back out of this and say, maybe you're, you're newer to Doxa and you're like, dang, Rob, like you're only like a few minutes in, like just ease up, okay? Like why, why do you guys always talk so much about sin? Right, because maybe you, you feel this and it, and it kind of feels heavy, but guys, let me say this. This is one of the reasons why we teach through books of the Bible the way that we do. Because we don't want to skip the hard stuff, right? We, we, we don't have the liberty to just skip over and find the places that we want to preach from. When we go through the Bible, you see this. The truth of our story and our existence, God helps us to understand this. That as we teach the Bible and talk about sin, it's not meant to make us feel bad, all right? It's meant to make us realize that we need help. Every single one of us, we, we need help. And if we don't understand the extent of our sin, we will never see our need for a savior, which is really what your life is ultimately about and why you're here today. Now, as we see the state of humanity in Genesis 6, Genesis 6 we, we just need to know that, guys, nothing has changed. All right, this is, this is true of us today. And this is so important, okay, because many people in our world will, will kind of look at the cultural landscape of our city and our world, will look at humanity and they'll say, man, we have come so far. 
right? I mean, we're getting progressively better. Like we're changing laws and, you know, people can vote now and women are more equal and like we're fighting and like humanity is getting better. Guys, I want you to know that this isn't not true. Humanity is getting worse, progressively worse and worse and worse. Just totally jacked up. And this truth is what theologians call the doctrine of total depravity. And now here's what this means for you today, okay? Doctor, everything about us and everything in us is corrupted by sin. Our mind is corrupted, our heart is corrupted, our emotions, our intentions, our hands, our mouths, all corrupted, everything. That while we're made in the image and the likeness of God, while we're made for greatness, guys, we're not great. Now we're sinners. And we do, we think, we speak evil things. But the greatness is still there. But while this greatness is still there, we are marred and twisted and bent by sin. That no part of us is negatively impacted, is not negatively impacted by sin. If you were wondering, like as we come here, and hopefully this is helpful, because maybe some of you like people who are not Christians, you're like, I hate Christians, they always think that they're better than us, right? Guys, I want you to know that's not true, right? This is my sales pitch of like who we are at Doxa. We're really jacked up, we're not good. Welcome, okay, you can guys come back next week too now, right? But this is who we are. Now, here's the interesting thing, okay? Maybe you're, you're more skeptical by nature and, and it's harder for you to really believe the Bible. Right? You're like, I don't know if this is really true. And if that's you guys, welcome to Doxa. I love that you're here. You're welcome here. We actually love to ask a lot of questions too, but I want you just to listen to this, okay? This concept of human depravity is not just something that we find in the Bible, but it's by looking around the world. All right, that atheists, many great mind atheists look around the world and come to the same conclusion that humanity is not the way it should be that human depravity is really just an undeniable reality. All right, the, the psychological pioneer, Sigmund Freud, he viewed humanity in our inmost self as this, and I quote, he said, it's a hell. And in his writing called Civilization and Its Discontents, here's what Freud says, and I quote, men are not gentle, friendly creatures wishing for love, who simply defend themselves that they are attacked but that a powerful measure of desire for aggression has to be reckoned as part of their instinctual endowment. The result is that their neighbor is to them not only a possible helper or sexual object, but also a temptation to them to gratify their aggressiveness on him, to exploit his capacity for work without recompense, to use him sexually without his consent, to seize his possessions, to humiliate him, to cause him pain, to torture and to kill him. Man is a wolf. Who has the courage to dispute it in the face of all the evidence in his own life and throughout history? Here's the point. Humanity, you and me, are not who we were created to be. Sin is part of all of our lives. And while this is clearly laid out in the Bible, many people are tempted to think like, man, I don't know if that's me. I don't know if I'm like a wolf. Like Freud had a bunch of weird things with dads, so I'm not gonna listen to him, right? And like, you think I'm not a wolf. I don't kill anybody. I don't do anything like that. Here's what Genesis 6, 5 says. Look back. God says, I know your heart and it's evil all the time. See, guys, the truth is we only see people's actions with their hands and the words that come out of their mouth. 
We don't see the intentions of the heart. But God looks down and he looks at the heart. And God says, I I know their heart and it's only evil all the time. It's just sinful, it's wicked, it's twisted, it's just proud, they're hard hearted. All right, this is a very grim, this is a very difficult picture and for us to accept as, as humans, but it's true of us. I mean, if you just think about it, if, if I could like tap into your brain and like throw up your thoughts on the screen and we would just sit here all morning and just watch all the things that you think about and feel, holy cow, right? I mean, I'd be the first one out the door because we would see like the extent of the evil that we think about. Guys, this is what God sees. And as God looks down, he says, I've let this go for over 1600 years. And this is kind of like where we're at. If I don't step in and get involved, all we're gonna have is sin and wickedness and death. And God responds. And this is the second big aspect to the flood account, and it's this. God's response to human depravity. And as we look at this, okay, we're gonna basically see three aspects in this account to God's response to our depravity. The first we see in verse six, take a look. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And I want you to underline this next part in your Bible. And it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. All right, God responds to humanity's sin first with grief. Now, guys, this is actually like a moving insight into the character of God. All right, because I just want you to see this. This text does not portray God as responding to our sin in just a fit of anger and rage. Some of you guys view God like that that he's just up there with like a lightning bolt and he's just waiting for you to just like mess up and sin. He's gonna be like kapow, right? And just like, you view God like that. This is not how God is. And I just really need you to see this because if we were in the place of God here and if people had like sinned against us and defied us and defiled us and hurt us for 1600 years, we would not respond like this. But I want you to be reminded of this doxa. God is Father. And even though this is like a really bummer verse in the Bible, right? I love it. Because you know what it shows us? It shows us that God's not just like a concept. God's not just like a force. He's a person. He's not a man, but he's a person. And he's not just a person, but he's repeatedly referred to throughout the pages of the Bible as Father. And as you look around the world today, guys, there is like, People are just incredibly narcissistic, right? We just think about ourselves all the time. We're obsessed with our feelings. We're obsessed with our emotions. And I feel this way, I feel that way. And we talk about our feelings so much, but very rarely do you hear anybody talking about the feelings of God. God is emotional. We're made in his image and likeness. That's why we are emotional beings. I mean, have you thought about the question, like, how does God feel when I sin? Have you guys thought about that? If not, it's a great question to ponder. Because we so many times think of, like, how do I feel when I sin? Or how do I feel when somebody sins against me? 
But how does God feel? Look at verse six. And the Lord was grieved. God is saddened. God sheds tears over our sin. And if you know your Bible, you should be thinking of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the Palm Sunday account in the Gospels, where we see him weeping over the city. That he comes into Jerusalem, he sees people, he sees their hearts, he sees their sin, their rebellion, how far they are from God, and he isn't angry. He isn't coming with lightning bolts, he's coming with tears. He's grieved, and he cries over the people that he loves. Furthermore, we should think of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul says that the Holy Spirit of God is grieved by our sin. Guys, we have an emotional, relational, personal, Trinitarian God who is grieved and saddened and heartbroken over our sin. And Christians, let me just talk to you for a minute. Guys, as I have been like in this text and praying, this has changed me. And I'm praying that God would just not let me to just lose it after I leave and start studying another passage. But guys, if this goes from our head to our heart and we actually see how our sin breaks the heart of God, this changes a man or a woman. This changes us. And I pray that this just lands on us and will change us. Now, in this, God knows that he can't just allow sin and evil and death and injustice continue on indefinitely. And so he has to do something with it. And this is the second way that God responds to our sin, with justice. So with grief, now justice. Look at verse seven. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the ground, man and beast and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I've made them. And skip down to verse 13. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And then in verse 17, skip down there, God says that his wrath will come as a flood. I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life under heaven, everything that is on earth shall die. And then after these three just kind of hammer blow statements of God's intention because of sin comes the headline. In Genesis chapter seven, verse 21, and all flesh died that moved upon the earth. Birds, cattle, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm upon the earth and every man, everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. And what we have from Genesis chapter seven, verse one to Genesis chapter eight, verse 18, 18, there we go, is the terrible account of the flood and how God punished humanity for sin. Now let's just consider this, okay? More than 80 times throughout Genesis, it says that God blesses, okay? We have a good God, we know that, amen? Some of you are questioning that now. You're like, flood, but that's the point. Like, what do we do with this? Because we come to a place like this and we say like, okay, God is good, but what do we do with this? And this can cause problems. Like, what do we make of it? What are we to think about God in light of this? Because, because the truth is, the flood of Noah is not just like a kid's story. Guys, this is like a rated R story that quite frankly is a brutal story of death. But let me just tell you this, okay? The Bible is the most honest book that has ever been written 
And as it shares this historical account, it forces us to see things as they truly are. And what we're seeing here is not the Bible's attempt, not God's attempt to like mortify us or getting some kind of sick pleasure out of this, but it's to sober us. It's to sober us so that we'll deal rightly with God and our sin. This is the point. Because here's the truth that every single one of us, we just need to grab hold of today. God is good. God is love, but he is also just. We're sinful and we will be judged. And, and we understand like the justice of God and we love the justice of God, right? We, we want justice to be done. We hate injustice, but we don't like the justice of God when it comes to us in our life, in our sin. But you can't have it both ways. God is just. And the Bible says repeatedly that sin equals death. And God has been saying this from the very beginning, starting with Adam in the garden. And you just, I just really need you to understand this. This is not God being super angry and just full of rage. Guys, this is God being holy and just. That God is perfectly holy and he can't be in the presence of sin. All right, this is why on our own, we're just separated from him. All right, that while God created us and he loves us and he desires us, because of our sin, we can't be in his presence. And because he's perfectly just, he has to respond and to judge our sin. And this is what's happening here in the flood. All right, that God basically says, I, I told you about your sin from the very beginning. If you remember back to Genesis chapter three, chapter two, God tells Adam, there's one rule in the garden. Don't kill yourself, don't die. Don't eat from that tree, that's sin that will kill you. And God has been telling humanity that sin will equal death. But no one, listened. And all the people of the world, with the exception of Enoch in chapter 5, ignored God and they ignored his warning. And so God acts in judgment. Now, some people will, will look at this text and, and they'll think, well, come on, like, can't God just be like a little bit more patient? Right? Like, can, like, why, like pump the brakes a little bit. These people will come around. They'll, they'll, get to, they'll come around to it and just be, just be patient. Why? Why is he? See, he's got to be mean. But I just want you to consider this, guys. He gave it over 1,600 years, and it just kept getting progressively worse that no one listened. And while we don't know exactly how long it took Noah to build the ark, scholars estimate it was somewhere between 50 and 120 years. And even during the, that time, that span of years, while they were watching this big, massive boat being built, no one still listened. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah... Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you a bunch of animals. Now look at verse four. For in seven days, I want you to underline that in your Bible. In seven days, I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. So Noah's building this ark somewhere between 50 and 120 years. And then God says, I'm gonna give it one more week but then judgment will come. Guys, do you see how patient God is? Like all these years, and he said, I'm gonna give it one more week. Second Peter 3, 9 says that the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but to come to repentance. But even during that last week, no one listened. And the day came 
and the door of the ark slowly shuts. And creation, people, everything dies as the flood comes because of sin. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about Noah right now. All right? How is Noah feeling while he's inside of this sealed ark? You know, some of you probably think he's probably got the latest like elevation worship CD playing or CD. Or do we even have CDs anymore? I don't even know. But you know, but he's probably just praising God. He's got his skinny jeans on. This is where it all reson- or started from, right? And he's just going. He's happy. I want you to think about this. Second Peter two five says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Do you know what this means? It means that he pleaded with people to walk with God and be saved from the judgment that was coming. And as I've been studying this, here's how I pictured Noah. I just picture him just kind of crying out to people till the very end, until the door shut. Like I think his voice was probably just like raspy. His, his throat was probably just like bleeding because he just kept calling out to people, inviting his neighbors and his friends to stop sinning and to join him in faith. I mean, can you hear Noah? Just begging people, please, friends, get inside. We have this boat for a reason. Stop sinning, turn to God, walk with God. There's enough room for every single one of you inside this boat. Come to God, trust him, and just get inside with me. And as Noah did this, everyone just dismissed him, mocked him, and ignored him. And slowly the door shuts, and the opportunity for repentance is gone. And now Noah has to sit there and watch and listen to his friends, his kids' friends, his neighbors. He has to watch all of them die. Because this was a terrible, terrible day for everyone, especially those who were not walking with God. And honestly, I'm, I'm thankful that every single one of you are here today because I'm about to say, the most important thing that I could ever say with the life that God has given me. That we live in a day very similar to the day of Noah. That Noah spoke the truths of God to people and people paid no attention. They thought God and Noah and his message were just like folklore. They thought it was a joke. They thought it was a good story. But I just need you to hear this, guys. 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ, he promised that he would be coming again. And as he tells us that he's gonna come again, he actually ties it to Noah in the flood. This is what he says in Matthew 24, 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. They were just having a good time. Before the flood, they weren't listening to anything. They didn't want to listen to God. They didn't want to listen to Noah. They were just doing all these things until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware that until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Doxa, Jesus is saying there is another judgment coming to eliminate sin forever and heaven and hell will be the two destinations for all people. And just as people were ignoring God in Noah's day, in our day, the same thing is happening. People are ignoring God, they're ignoring his words to us. And we as people, we just live, we, we sin, 
but judgment will come upon everyone, just like this flood. And while we might know people that'll just laugh at it and mock it, saying that there is no God, there is no hell, there is no judgment, this is all made up, this is fine, like you do your little thing on Sundays, but just leave us alone, it's not true. Jesus, the only man who has ever raised back to life, presenting himself and declaring himself to be God, he says, I'm coming back. And it's gonna be like the day of Noah for everyone who's not walking with God. Now, I just want you to hear this. Just like in Noah's day, God in his love is being so patient with us. He's giving us all an opportunity and he's giving us all time to trust him, to be saved, to walk with God so we don't die and go to hell and face eternal judgment, but that we would find forgiveness. Guys, this is why you're here, that God is pursuing you. He has brought you here so that your eyes could be opened up so you can hear this message because he loves you. No one's here on accident. He wants you to come to himself. He's trying to get your attention so that you can come to faith and he can save you. Because the opportunity for repentance is only as long as you live. We all know this, we're all gonna die at some point. Some of you, you, you might die soon. Others of you, you, you might have a lot of years. We really just don't know. And God is saying, walk with me. Just walk with me, it's the only way. And for those of you who have been around Doxa for a while, you know this about me, for those of you who are newer, let me just say this, guys, I love you. I really do, I love every single one of you. And if it wasn't for COVID, even though I'm not a hugger, I would hug you, okay? But can't do that right now, but I love you. And I love you enough to teach you God's word because I don't want any of you to go to hell. I don't want that for anyone. Guys, this is why we started this church. We need to start this church because like, you know what, I need a great profession. Let me, let's just be a pastor and start a church. Like, come on, I'd rather sell cars, right? But there's not, there's not, no, there's nothing wrong with my job and there's nothing wrong with selling cars, okay? But here's what I'm saying. This is why Doxa Church exists. To help people know themselves and to know God. And I don't want any of you to stand before God one day and say, I didn't know. No one, no one told me. Like, I just need some more time. I don't want that for you. Guys, the time is now. And my job is simply just to tell you the truth. Your job is to figure out what to do with it. But believe it or not, I don't actually love teaching this topic, okay? Like all week, as I've been prepping for this, I'm just thinking about Christmas. Baby Jesus, sheep, wise men, like that'll be great. I don't love this, but we love you enough to tell you the truth. And as we hear this, guys, there should be a sense of urgency. For those of you who aren't Christians, there should be a great sense of urgency for you to come to God today. And even for those of you who are Christians, this should make you think about your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates that aren't walking with God. Guys, this isn't like a game that we play, right? This isn't like a, about cool worship songs and hip pastors or anything like that. This is like life and death. We have an opportunity to be saved. But the big question is how? And this is the third way that God responds. And it's this, it's favor. Look at chapter six, 
So maybe you feel like I just grabbed you by like the scruff of the neck and I've been holding you underwater, like waterboarding you, right? I'm about to bring you back up. Verse, chapter six, verse eight. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. So you're probably feeling heavy and that's, a, that's, that's right. We, we should be feeling that. And maybe you brought your friend right with you today for the first time. You're like, this is just a great church. They're so happy and fun and they have so much good times, right? And now you're thinking, what the heck? This is intense. We do like to have fun. Party, right? It's great. We got trampolines. I mean, if that doesn't convince you, I don't know what else to. But let me just say this, guys. In the midst of this terrible picture of depravity and judgment, when the black thunderclouds of God's wrath against humanity and human sin is at their height, a small crack appears. And the grace of God shines through with a promise. Listen to this. When it says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, here's what you need to know. That word favor is the first occurrence in the Bible of the Hebrew word for grace. And this is what it's all about. And this actually leads to the last aspect of the flood and how I'm gonna close. But we've seen humanity's depravity, we've seen God's response to it, and finally, we see humanity's hope in the midst of great depravity. And the quick answer is this, it's favor. It's the grace of God. And believe it or not, we can see the grace of God all the way through the flood account. First, as we read this, we have to ask questions, why? Like, why did God choose Noah? And many people will say, well, it's because he was righteous. We see it right there. It's because he was, he was walking with God. Let me ask you this, what came before that? Verse eight, favor. It's God's amazing grace. And once God's grace breaks in, then he was righteous and then he walked with God. Doxa, life, eternal life, joy, salvation, eternal security, assurance, all starts with grace. Noah was just a regular guy. There was nothing special about him. In fact, if you look forward to chapter nine, verse 20, we see that he's just as jacked up as the rest of us. That after God saves him from the flood, right? I mean, he's in this ark, he sees judgment, he sees this terrible stuff, this amazing stuff happening. He gets off the boat and what's the first thing, he, one of the first things he does? He plants a vineyard, he gets drunk and he passes out naked, right? Some of you guys did that last night. Welcome to Doxa, God still loves you, he loved Noah. He was just a broken guy. He's a sinful man. Doxa, God does not look down on humanity and see great people and bad people and then choose the great ones. No, he looks down and he sees bad people, period. And he invites us all to himself by his grace. And this is one of the things that separates Christianity from every other religion in the entire world, that all other re world religions will say, do this, be a good person, live a certain way, and then you will be accepted by God and he will invite you in. Christianity says, God says, no, come as you are with your baggage, your brokenness, your addictions, your perversions, and I will save you, I will change you, I will make you new, I will allow you to live how I've created you and intended you to live. Guys, Noah was just a jacked up dude. I'm just a regular jacked up dude and that's all of our stories, sinful but saved. God looks down in our depravity and he says, I love you. I'll forgive you, I'll save you, I'll change you, I'll walk with you. Here's my hand, let's do it. And he's extending his hand to you today and this is the goodness and the grace of God. 
Now, along with this, guys, we also see God's grace and his covenantal promise to Noah after the flood, where Noah gets his family off the boat. And then look at Genesis 8.20. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. He's worshiping. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing odor, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. All right, God makes a promise, a covenant with Noah. If you look forward to chapter nine, verse 11, God says, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now here's what I want you to see as we close. Guys, this covenantal promise to Noah was in response to a pure sacrifice that Noah made to God as he worshiped. Doc said, this is a foreshadowing that God, who must find a remedy for sin, will find it in another greater sacrifice, namely the sacrifice of his son. There's an epilogue to this story and it's all about Jesus. The final remedy for sin has been found. Hebrews 9.26 says, Christ appeared once at all, for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. God still hates sin. We are still sinful, but the final remedy is Jesus Christ. That while a wooden ark delivered Noah from physical death, a wooden cross delivers us from spiritual death. And just as Noah obeyed God by climbing onto the boat to save a few, Jesus obeyed his father by climbing onto a cross to save many. It's all about Jesus. And God is inviting you today to get in the boat, to walk with him. Walk with God, Doxa. Walk with God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are good, that you are loving. And even as we learn of your justice, God, thank you for coming to our rescue, for making a way for us. God, as we, as we consider this and, and we let these words, your words from the Bible kind of just like sink into our head and move to our heart, would you just teach us something? God, I just ask, Holy Spirit, would you take a, what's the word for us today? I know that there's a word for every single one of us that you have, a, a, a statement that was spoken today, a verse that you have we've read, God, there's something. Would you just highlight that in our head right now? Allow us to just think rightly. What is it that you're trying to say to us? What is it that you're trying to teach us? God, help us to be people that respond to your word. Help us to be a church that views sin like this, that views the gospel like this in such a way that we know sin equals death, but we also know that Jesus, you came to give us life and we, we have your heart towards the people of our great city. Would we love them like you love us? 
And would you give us the great privilege of watching more and more men and women come to saving faith in Jesus? We want everybody to be saved, God. Would you just use us? And I pray for those who are not walking with you, but they've heard this message from you. God, would you help them to take a step and just say, okay, I'm in the boat. I'm following Jesus. So Father, thanks for being a great God who's come to our rescue. And let our song of worship and praise just be a, a sweet sound to your ears as we remember and reflect and sing the beauty of the gospel.